G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. I want to take you to Psalm 88. He says, the writer, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. Verse 2, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends, and you have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Even though it's going to be the darkest season of your life, God put this here to show you that mental illness is where you become a person of greatness. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we continue a series that Pastor Jeff says is a very difficult one for him. It's brought up some memories and personal struggles for him. It's a series about anxiety, depression and Jesus. We heard the beginning of the message in the last episode. If you want, you can catch up on all messages at any time. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines on your podcast app. But today we'll hear the remainder of this message about anxiety and depression. We're in Psalm 88, which begins, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night, I cry out to you. Let's join Pastor Jeff for the rest of this message and find out how to thrive with anxiety, depression and Jesus. God says to those who experience mental illness, and this is not just theory to me, this is real because this is the case in my own life. God says to us in the midst of this, that I am your God, not because you get up every day and put on a happy face, not because you say and do everything right, not because you never talk back, not because you never lash out or get frustrated with me. I am your God because I love you and I am a God of grace. And we should find that liberating that as we go through this series, all the things we're about to learn, we should never forget that. So why did God place it in the Bible? To show you that mental illness can last a long time. Two, to show you the grace of God during the dark seasons of your days. And three, to show you that mental illness is where you become a person of righteousness. This is hard to fathom. It's hard to accept. And when somebody told me this in the middle of it, I didn't appreciate hearing it. But in retrospect, after the fact, it's true. God put this here to show you that mental illness is where you become a person of greatness. The writer of Psalm 88, which again, we're going to unveil just in a moment. He should not be saying things he's saying, but at least he's saying them to God. You know, one day when I was in the middle of my anxiety, I finally got the courage to leave the house. I had to come to the office because I was preaching again that weekend. Through that season, I continued to preach and continued to pray and continued to learn. One day I got to the office and I just, my brain, it was in that cloud again. It was in that, that place. I don't know where you go. It's like Paul, whether you're in the body or out of the body, I don't know. The only difference was I wasn't caught up in the third heaven. I felt like I was caught up in the third hell. This was terrible. 
And I couldn't think, I couldn't process. You know what I did? I'm going to make a confession. I got my iPad out and I watched Forrest Gump. I don't know why. I just thought, maybe I need a good laugh. The problem with Forrest Gump, you get some laughs, but you also get some serious dialogue. And I came to the scene where Lieutenant Dan, who had lost both his legs in battle, who hated Forrest because Forrest got the Medal of Honor and he felt Forrest was an idiot. And here Lieutenant Dan, coming from a long series of family members who were war heroes, got nothing. Lost both his legs. Forrest carried him out of the jungle. And Lieutenant Dan hated him for it. But not only that, he hated himself. Became addicted to sex, drugs, alcohol. He was destroying his life. But he heard that Forrest Gump has a boat and is shrimping in Alabama. And he promised Forrest that if you ever own your own boat, I'm going to come and be your first mate. Holding true to his word, he comes, he becomes the first mate, Forrest Gump, shrimping entity. But they're not, they're not catching any shrimp. And one day a horrible storm comes and all the boats come in except one. And the only reason Forrest Gump remained is because Lieutenant Dan determined, he was determined to die that day. So he climbs on top of the mast with this storm that had the potential to destroy them, that destroyed every boat that had gone into harbor. And Lieutenant Dan has it out with God. And in his frustration, he says to God, you'll never sink this boat. Is that all you got, God, you son of a gun? Is that all you have? You call this a storm? And he yells, it's time for a showdown between you and me, God, one-on-one. Here I am, come get me. You'll never sink this boat. And he screams and yells at God. And then in the next scene, after the storm subsides, here comes Lieutenant Dan, the atheist, who's been shouting at God all night long. And Forrest says, he never said so, but I think he made his peace with God. When I saw that, believe it or not, God uses, if God can use a donkey, he can use Forrest Gump. I remember on my couch thinking, I got to get this out. And I let God have it. I'm a pastor. I'm your servant. I've been serving you since I was 21 years old. I have given everything to you. I went to Africa for you. I went to New Zealand for you. And here you are. You've got me in this darkness and you won't answer. The healing that took place that day. Probably more than any medicine. At least I was still talking to God and God did not strike me down and smite me because he's a God of grace and mercy. And I began to learn he was doing something. You know, what is, what is Satan's accusation against Job? Have you read the book of Job? Satan says to God, Job's relationship with you is transactional. Of course he serves you because you keep blessing him. Of course he does the right thing because you keep giving him more and more stuff. You withhold that stuff. You stop blessing him. You wound him internally and externally, he'll curse you. He'll curse the day he was born and he'll curse you. Give him inner and outer darkness and he will not serve you. That passage spoke to me because I realized that much of my relationship with God at that point in my life was transactional. That I had used people in the past as a means to my end, but now I'm using God. Did I really go to New Zealand and to Africa for God or did I go for myself? Had I been serving him for me or for him? 
And you have to ask the same question. Is Satan right about us? About me? About you? We all begin with that attitude because we come to God to get something and that's natural. We want to be healed. We want to be saved. Those are good things. But if you never grow out of that, emotionally you become a roller coaster because it'll be contingent on what you think God is doing for you at the present time. But God in our lives is trying to move us out of egocentrism where everything's about us into theocentrism that everything's about God. And Job speaks to God the same way that the writer of Psalm 88 speaks to God. Let me give you a demonstration. It's in Job 9, verse 22. It's all the same. That's why I say he, meaning God, destroys both the blameless and the wicked. Do you hear what he's saying? God, it doesn't do any good to be righteous. You kill us both. When a scourge brings sudden death, God mocks the despair of the innocent. Do you hear what he's saying? An innocent person dies, God, you, they're in despair. You do nothing about it. When a land falls into the hands of the wicked, he blindsfold its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? Job is saying, you could have straightened this out. When injustice happens, you could have prevented it. You don't. Whose fault is it then? It's got to be yours. Job talks to God the same exact way in Psalm 88, the author talks to God. And yet, here's the key now. In all of this, at the end of the book of Job, God says, Job has honored me throughout this entire endeavor. And God turns to Job's friends and says, you better ask Job to pray for you. Otherwise, I might smite you. Job. After all the things that Job had said to God, why would he say, why would God say to, that Job had honored him? And the answer is this. Yeah, he's talking. You might even say he's talking trash. You might even say he's accusatory. But at least he's still talking to God. At least he's still communicating to God. He's angry with God. He's complaining to God. He's accusatory to God. And he's wrong in most of his assumptions. But at least he's still talking to God because he knows God's there. Even though he does not subjectively feel God, he knows God's objective presence is undeniable. And Job never walks away from God. He stays with God until the very end. And as a result, Satan is defeated. If while you're in your darkness, you can please hear me now. You're thinking, oh man, I want, I want something. I know, you, I know what you want. You want stats, you want healing. You want me to give you a formula. Just stay with me. Those things we're gonna talk about. But for now, please understand if you continue to do good, you continue to go to church, you continue to feel you're getting nothing out of it. In the middle of this fog and haze and confusion, if you continue to go to church, to read the word, to surround yourself with friends. If you continue to do these things, what happens is it turns you into greatness. But if you run and you run, the disease grows more intense. It is meant to turn you from egocentrism into theocentrism, which inevitably produces endurance, stability, peace, and a centralized joy. At the end of the book, Lord of the Rings, the book, not the movie, Sam and his friend Frodo are headed up to the mountain of doom. And as they're headed up, Sam realizes his strength and energy is gone, are gone. And he's come to the end of himself and he's tempted in the book to crawl up in a little ball and just die. And yet the writer tells us, even as hope died in Sam or seemed to die, it was then turned into a new strength. And I quote, Sam's face grew stern as the will hardened in him and he felt through all his limbs 
a thrill as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair or weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. It is in the darkness that you will throw away the transactional approach to God and begin to know and serve God the way he's meant to be known and served. Pragmatically, can I show you how this works again? It was my friend, Dane Johnson, that came to me in this mental illness when I was frustrated with God and I had no understanding. And basically I was panicking. And Dane came to me, having gone through a season of depression himself, said this to me, Jeff, when you can pray to God, God, keep me in this darkness until I have learned the lesson and become the man you want me to become. When you pray that and you mean it, because in the beginning, you're going to pray it, hoping it's the kind of the secret code, the key that will unlock all this and you'll be free. But when you pray it and you mean it, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to find that you love God for the sake of God. You've become theocentric. And two, that's when you'll be healed. It's almost like in the darkness, God says, all right, here we are, Jeff. We're going to find out if you've been serving me or if you think I'm here to serve you. Right now, you're not getting much out of me. I know that. You've taken so many things for granted in the past. Will you resign and say, oh God, I get it. I'm going to serve you. And I want you to build in me the man or the woman that you need or want me to become. (laughs) That's hard to hear when you're in the middle of it because there are many causes, which we're going to talk about later, but there's only one attitude that brings victory. The only only victory, the only way to, to get this victory that we're looking for is to totally yield the entire illness over to God and to say, God, do in me what you have to do in me. Be gentle. Do in me what you have to do in me to make me into the man or the woman of God that you desire for me to become. Do you know, when I went through the anxiety disorder, James 1 began to make a lot more sense to me. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I used to look at that passage as, okay, if I, if I behave and I endure, then I'm going to get the crown of life. But what I think James says here, the one who perseveres is the one who gets eternal life. So God wants to make sure that we persevere. So to make sure that we persevere, our whole life becomes a training ground of endurance, teaching us to endure so that God can make sure those he's called will receive the crown of life. That somehow we turn into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair or weariness nor endless barren miles can subdue. Okay, let's end. Why did God put this in the Bible? To show you that mental illness can last a long time. To show you that God gives his grace in the darkest days of your life. To show you that mental illness is where you become a person of greatness. There's no doubt in my mind. But here's where some of you probably wish we would have begun. To show you the darkness is neither objective nor permanent. Now let's talk about this. Do you know who wrote Psalm 88? The person who said, God, you're not there. This is permanent. The person who does not say, I don't feel you're there. No, he says, you're not there. 
He doesn't say, I feel that you've forsaken me. You have forsaken me. You've abandoned me since my youth. He believes that darkness is absolute, not relative, that darkness is eternal, not temporary, that it's objective, not subjective. But he was wrong. Now, who wrote Psalm 88? The answer is a man by the name of Heman, not Haman in the Esther story, Heman, H-E-M-A-N, and you will find his name in 1 Chronicles 6. And you will discover that David put Heman in charge of writing worship music and songs in the house of the Lord. Now remember, the Psalms are one of the greatest works of literature in history. Both historians, Christian and secular will admit that. And Heman wrote the Psalms that are recorded in the 40s, 40 through 49. In other words, Heman wrote some of the greatest literary works of art in history. Nobody questions that. Millions and millions and millions of people have read his works, his songs, his music. No author has had their works and artistic impressions read, contemplated, and discussed as much as those who wrote the Psalms. Heman's darkness turned him into a great artist. And I go back to the two Greek words in the New Testament for pain, philipsis and priasmos. Both words refer to pressure. And the image is to stomp on the grapes in the wine press, squeezing them until the good stuff comes out. God had to squeeze Heman to get the good stuff out to encourage and minister to millions of people. Millions. And it goes on through generation after generation. Do you think Heman would have seen the day when you and I would stand in this place and talk about his work? No. His suffering was not relative. It was not absolute. It was not eternal. His suffering was temporary, subjective, and definitely relatable. God was always there, whether he felt like it or not. And through his suffering, he was turned into a great artist. If God is your savior, you can know with certainty this darkness will birth the greatest light of your life. I know you don't want to hear that now. I definitely didn't want to hear it, and I wanted to smack people who said that. But I cannot deny the reality of what it does. When, when you discover through this series that there's light at the end of the tunnel, there is a way you can be healed. I, I am confident of it. When you discover that, on the other end of it, you're going, to be, you're going to be singing a different song. You're going to be saying, those days were the best days of my life because they did something in me that changed me for eternity. God has not abandoned you. He's always working. How can I know that, Pastor Jeff? In the end of Psalm 39, God turned your face away so that I can have a moment's peace. The end of Psalm 88, darkness. My best friend is darkness. But what does Matthew 27 say? From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's the point? The point is because Jesus suffered total darkness, objectively, you and I only get subjective darkness. Because he did suffer abandonment, you and I only feel like there are times when God has abandoned us. But the reality is, because Jesus experienced the objective wrath of God, he didn't just feel abandoned. He didn't just merely feel the wrath of God. He experienced objectively the wrath of God and, the, and, the, and abandonment from God. He's the only one that can truly say, 
What the writer Heman says in Psalm 88, darkness was his only friend. The disciples left him, his own people left him, even his own father left him. Why? Jesus suffered the darkness and the abandonment our sin deserves. Jesus experienced the darkness as his only friend was darkness, so that in your darkness, Jesus becomes your true friend who's always there, who's always working, and who will never leave. In the garden, Jesus did not abandon his darkness. And if you think about it, in the garden, Jesus did not abandon us in the middle of his darkness. When the darkness came, he could flee. He could have left. He could have said, no, I'm not going to do this. So because Jesus in the garden did not abandon us in his darkness, what makes you think he will abandon you in yours? He's already proving that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And do you remember that sarcastic question in Psalm 88? Do the dead rise and praise you? Do you know what the answer is? Yes, they do. Because Jesus rose again and praised the heart of the Father for his restoration and for the defeat of sin and death. And that's exactly what you and I can do if we trust him. We too will rise up in our darkness and praise him. If you run to him, keep running, keep running, you will praise him for the deepest, darkest moments of your life. You know, there was a lady that used to come, just quickly, there was a lady that used to come every Easter when we used to meet at the Felix Event Center. We used to gather all our campuses and meet up at APU. And I would see her every Easter. She would force her way to make it to the service. And I would say, how are you? Because she was, fa she was facing brain cancer. I mean, it, it was a horrible journey. Beautiful mother, beautiful daughters and husband, beautiful family. And every time I ask her that question, how you doing? How you feeling? Does it hurt? And she would always respond, nothing that the resurrection can't take care of. Nothing that the resurrection. But the promise of the resurrection is not only in the life to come, but it's here and now. That dead people, that dead bones can rise again, can rise up, can be lifted up. Michael Wilcock, in his commentary on Psalm 88, this darkness can happen to a believer. It does not mean that you're lost. The darkness can happen to someone who does not deserve it. It happened to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you've strayed. This darkness can happen to anyone at any time because only in the next world will such things be done away with unnecessary. This darkness can happen to anyone without knowing why, but rest assured, there is a purpose, and eventually, you'll know it. You'll know it. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Listen. This darkness stinks. No other way to paint it. And it's true, your friends don't understand it until they've experienced it. It's impossible to explain. But can I tell you, as we go through this series, you have to keep this in mind. God is with you. God has never abandoned you. He is doing a mighty work in you. You're going to become a person of greatness. Yes, that's true. You're going to become a person of greatness. You're going to move from egocentrism to theocentrism. Your life is going to be about God. It's going to move past a transactional relationship into one that is so real and felt. It's going to change the rest of your life. If you will run and keep running to God, even when you don't feel he's there keep coming. Keep listening. Father, I pray for all our family members right now that are going through some type of mental illness. It is a pandemic of epic proportions in this country and around the world. 
help me to explain the reasons why from the word of God as we go through the series. Encourage those who are in the middle of it right now in this deep darkness. Encourage them, if nothing else, to remember they should speak to you what is in you, what not ought to be in them. To be honest with you, you're pretty big God. You can handle it. But to keep running to you, even if it's running to you in anger and frustration. And to remember that you will never leave them, that because you did not abandon us in your darkness, you will not abandon us in ours. And I pray that you'd give them insight and passion to listen to this sermon again and again until it makes its way deep into their minds and emotions and put these things into practice that will lead to peace, life through Christ in his name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.